All right, so in Acts chapter 13, we've been going through this book of Acts, and the book of Acts is really just the story of the early church. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, which tell us the life of Jesus from his birth until his uh, death and burial and resurrection. And then the book of Acts picks up with the resurrected Jesus coming, appearing to his followers over the course of 40 days, um, telling them that their job is to go out and to make disciples and to proclaim the kingdom. And then he ascends up into heaven. The Holy Spirit uh, descends upon the church, and they go out and they begin to to share Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we're watching this happen. Uh, we're looking at the church in Antioch, which is exactly the kind of church that Riverside would desire to be. It's a, it's a generous church. It's a church that um, is seeking God. It's a church that's being used by God in their city, in their community, and then it's a church that's sending others out uh, to proclaim the gospel uh, in other places where it's yet to be preached. And so uh, we would model ourselves after this. And the, the idea with coming to the book of Acts is that over time, um, there's just a lot of stuff uh, that gets that gets piled on in, in anything in, in our in our home right now we're going through and we're we're cleaning out and uh, we're just going through and getting bags of like stuff that we don't want anymore right that it's just just trash you look at it and you're like this had a purpose at one point or one time it made sense I know we got it most of it is happy meal toys and uh, we're just throwing them in trash bags and and taking them out right because over time you just accumulate things and stuff and so um, in some ways uh, the church can be like that where sometimes we just accumulate stuff. And we want to get back to the, the, the basics. We want to say, like, when the followers of Jesus received the, the, the commendation from him to go out and they received the Holy Spirit, what did they do? And how can we try and make sure that Riverside is as close to that as we can possibly be? And in doing that, as a church, we want to be like the church in Antioch. As, as believers, we want to be like the Apostle Paul. Paul and Barnabas were sent out uh, to proclaim the gospel, and so they just went from town to town. Um, just telling anyone who would listen about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's really what we want to do uh, as, as his followers. And so today we have this unique opportunity to look at the first recorded sermon from the Apostle Paul that's in the book of Acts. And so the first time he was given the mic and had a chance to get up there and, and share that we have recorded, he's been doing it, but this is the first time where they really lay out exactly what he did. And it's an incredible model where he shows us the fullness of the beauty of the gospel. And so we want to see this today, number one, because we want to proclaim it well and accurately. Um, he's in an area, actually, we can throw the map up here. Uh, they started out in Antioch, up there near Tarsus, uh, right up in the, in the corner. They sailed out to the island of Cyprus, which is that little island sitting there with Salamis and, and Paphos. So they went there. They went from one end of the island to the other, proclaiming the gospel. Even the, the greatest Roman ruler in that, on the island uh, ended up getting saved and following, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And then they sailed from there up uh, into the mainland again, landed at Perga, and then went up to Antioch. It was a really dangerous journey over mountains, and it was, it was treacherous. This is where John Mark left them, and there's, they speculate about different things about why he might have left, but part of it could have just been the danger of the journey that they were embarking on. Um, and they go up into Antioch in Pisidia. So they start in Antioch, they end in Antioch. That's where the Bible can get confusing, right? But it's two different cities. Um, and it's in Galatia. And so this is the book of Galatians that we have in our Bible. It was a letter that was written to the church that came out of this missionary journey that he went on and, and went up and visited with them. And so he comes into the synagogue. They read uh, for the scripture portions for the day. And then they say, hey, we've got some visitors in town for us. Would you guys, do you have a word of encouragement for us? And, and uh, so he comes and like, boy, do I ever. Yeah, sure. Can I, can I share a little bit? And so he comes up and Brian uh, Doback preached last week and shared the first part of of Paul's sermon, which was really just connecting the God of Israel uh, with, with the proclamation that they're making of Jesus Christ. And so Paul got up and essentially said, hey, you serve the one true God. You're seeking him in the scriptures. You're seeking to live uh, by the law, and that's good. You guys are doing the right thing. You're seeking the right God. You're seeking him in the right way. 
And, uh, and through his act of grace, he has made you into a people, and he's brought that people out of Egypt, and he's brought you kings, and now he has fulfilled the work that he was doing in the nation of Israel in the coming of the Messiah, in Jesus Christ coming. And so he makes this, this bridge, this connection to where they're at, what they're doing, their worship, and then he makes this connection um, to the message that he wants to share to them, the good news of Jesus. And this is a, an important thing to realize that when we begin sharing the gospel, that's always an important piece that we can't skip over. We've got to make a connection to where the person is at. Um, sometimes we'll get a phone call in here. Um, we get a lot of phone calls in here, and almost all of them are telemarketers, right? And so, so, um, uh, so I'll answer the phone and be like, hey, they start going on about this copying machine and stuff. And, and so after a while, I, I used to be like, oh, yeah. I, I used to like kind of like give them the wishy-washy. Now I'm just like, hey, let me, let me be real direct with you. We do everything electronically. We print about 10 sheets of paper a week, and, like, the, the thing that you're selling is not something that we need here. And then they're like, oh, okay, sure, we'll take you off the list, right? Um, so moral of the story is be direct, right? But um, they're, they're trying to make a connection, a bridge to what they're selling and what we need, but there was no bridge there. When we come with the gospel, we're not selling the gospel, uh, but We've got to show somebody the need for a Savior before they're ready to receive the Savior. If the good news is that Jesus has come to save them of their sins, their questions might be, well, what is sin? And why do I need salvation? And isn't what I'm doing good enough, right? That there can be a lot of things where they don't connect the dots, and our job is always to, to make that bridge. And so if there's somebody who's of religious nature, you say, hey, I can see that you're a devout person, that you're seeking to know the creator of the universe, and I want you to know that he's revealed himself in the Bible and through his son, Jesus. And so there's a connection there. Uh, if, they're, if they're seeking happiness and fulfillment in, in earthly things and, uh, and just going after the next uh, toy or gadget or the next possession or the next uh, accomplishment, uh, we can go to them and say, hey, listen, I, I recognize a pattern in your life. I've seen it in my own life where I try and fill myself with stuff. But stuff, did you ever notice how it never, it never satisfies? I have like the iPhone 5S, right? Two years ago, you guys would have been like, oh, is that the gold one? Oh, that's amazing, right? Now everybody's like, ugh, what are you going to do with that when you're done with it? Like paperweight, right? Like, the next thing always comes along. There's always the next thing. There's always the, none of these things, none of these earthly things. They're good things. They're gifts from God, but they're not lasting. They don't satisfy in a lasting way. Sometimes we hinge our hopes on a relationship. Oh, if I just had a husband or a wife or a child or, uh, or if I had a better relationship with my parents, or that would bring me fulfillment in my life. But the reality is, is that we're all uh, sinful humans and that we're bound inevitably to fail. And even if we live a really great life with few failures, Eventually, we all die, right? So it's just we're hinging our hopes on the wrong things. I got a lot of good news for you this morning. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is a downer, right? The reality is, is that everybody is searching for hope and purpose and peace and lasting joy, and we know that the only place that that's really found truly is in a relationship with Jesus and when he makes us right with the Father. And so our job is to kind of identify where they're at and bring the gospel into that scenario. That's exactly what Paul did. He came into the Jewish synagogue and he said, you worship the one true God. You're doing well. You're seeking the right one. But let me tell you what God has done. He's done a new work in our life and our time, and he's done something amazing, and he's fulfilled uh, what you've been longing to see is now fulfilled in Jesus. And so they're like, well, tell us more. If this is true, uh, how do we know that Jesus is that, and, and what does that mean? And so Paul's like, I'm glad you asked that. And so that's where we pick up the sermon today. Verse 26, it says this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, 
they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. So he continues, he begins by building a bridge. Hey, this is where you're at, and this is how Jesus connects with what you're doing. Now let me give you some of the, the historical facts. Jesus lived a sinless life. There was no reason to execute him, and yet he was crucified like a common criminal in fulfillment of prophecy. And here's the crazy part. The ones who did it are the ones who've been studying the prophecy, studying to know exactly what it would look like when the Messiah came, and yet when he came and stood before them, they didn't recognize him. And in the greatest irony, they were the ones that fulfilled these prophecies, which they've been studying and reading and looking at. They were the ones who fulfilled them by crucifying the Messiah that they've been waiting and longing for. And he was killed, dead, and he was laid in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. In the same way that God made you a people, in the same way that God brought you out of Egypt, in the same way that God gave you King David, God raised Jesus from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. The promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the nations of the earth through you and through your line. And I'm, uh, your numbers are going to out, uh, outnumber the sands on the, the shore. That these promises are now coming true and coming fulfilled in Jesus. That they've reached this time, this amazing time in history. He's like, do you realize when we live in, in this age in history when Jesus the Messiah has come? And so he begins by building the bridge. Then he lays out the historical Details, the facts. This is what happened. These are the facts of what happened. There's eyewitnesses. There's many eyewitnesses who saw him after he was resurrected. And they're, in fact, the ones that are they're being sent out into the world to proclaim the truth uh, that Jesus, not only was he crucified unjustly, but he died and he rose again and he's risen from the grave. And so it continues on. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so what he does now is he transitions into a series of Scripture references, which are really doing two things. One, it's demonstrating that Jesus is who he said he was, right? So he's going to say, hey, I'm going to point to a couple of prophecies. You know that these were prophecies about the Messiah, and I'm going to show you how Jesus actually fulfills these. So this demonstrates that Jesus is really who he said he was. But it also ties into a bigger picture. It's going to show us more fully the facets of the gospel. And so when we look at Psalm 2, when he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you, that's coming out of uh, the second psalm. And uh, we're going to have this up on the, uh, the screen here for you today. But uh, understand that, that these were devout Jews and, and Gentiles who were seeking the Lord in the synagogue. They would study the scriptures. They would seek to know and understand them. And so they had uh, much of it memorized. They would know. So when he says, uh, when he throws out this reference, they know exactly what he's talking about, right? Like if I get up here this morning and I say, I've got huge new for you. This is going to be huge. I'm going to be the president of the United States, right? <laughs> like you guys know, well, Trina knew. She's the only one. That was my Donald Trump impersonation, right? But <laughs> Huge. All right. I'll keep working on it. Too bad there's not a third service. Um, right, but when, so, okay, so that triggers. All right, Donald Trump. It's like a circus sideshow, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff doing, and he says whatever's on his mind. You know what I mean? There's all this content that comes in with that, right? Or if I say, like, shake and bake, man, if you ain't first or last, right? You know, you're talking about Ricky Bobby, right? And you're talking about Talladega Nights and all the foolishness and craziness that's involved in that, right? Or, or whatever. And so when we throw out these cultural references, all we have to do is say a couple words, a phrase, and it triggers this whole flood of, like, oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about, right? So when he throws out from Psalm 2 when he says, um, you are my son, today I have begotten you, they would come to mind all of Psalm 2. 
Um, but many of us don't have Psalm 2 memorized, so let's, let's take a read of it and see what it says, right? So Psalm 2, uh, it'll be up on the screen here, or you can turn there in your Bible. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So that's what he was referencing. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so that opens up a whole new context of what he's talking about, right? Okay, this is the Messiah. You are my my son. I've begotten you. Yeah, that, that demonstrates that it's Jesus. But what does Psalm 2 tell us about this son, the Messiah? It tells us that he's the ruling and reigning king, that he's the one who's been given all power and dominion and authority over the nations of the world. It says when the nations uh, come together and plot against the Lord, it's laughable. He's like, really? (laughs) You guys? Like, I mean, seriously, come on, right? Like, God is all powerful. This is the one that we worship. And it says that Jesus, uh, it says uh, that there's this sense of holy fear, reverence, awe, respect that the messiah is not just your buddy you know he's not he's not the fist bump jesus right this is like the ruling and reigning king jesus to whom we are all accountable every one of us will have to stand before him and we will bow out of reverence when we see one who is so much greater than us and so uh, i grew up in central pa and uh, so over there they're like a little bit more in your face sometimes right so you might be driving down a random country road and all of a sudden, you'll just see a sign that says, repent or perish, right? <laughs> like, they just come at you, right, with like the boom. It's a, you don't get a choice, right? It's, a, it's now or never. You need to do this thing. And, um, and, or we call that like fire and brimstone preaching, right? Like, oh, I saw one of those fire and brimstone preachers. He's talking about like, you're going to hell and you better repent or uh, you might not make it out of this room today, right? Like, uh, and so we're, that's not as palatable for our culture today, right? Like, so when we lead with the gospel, we typically don't lead with that. And in fact, that's why I said, hey, let's begin with building a bridge. Instead of going up to somebody and say, hey, did you know you're going to hell? That doesn't sound good, right? You take a different approach. You begin and say, hey, what is it that you're seeking in life? Because Jesus is the answer. Um, and here's the thing. He's powerful enough to provide it. And he holds authority over your life. And so the reality, whether we like it or not, Jesus doesn't have to justify himself to us. We have to justify ourselves to him. We'll have to stand before him and give an account of our life. And that's true for every single one of us. And so we, we fail when we water the gospel down to just the good news of, like, Jesus is your homeboy. He loves you. He wants you to just come hang out with him, and everything's going to be good, right? Like, that falls short of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus is all-powerful, the one who's been given all authority. Uh, he says, um, you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus is not someone who you want to be on his wrong side, right? And so he's, he's worthy of our our respect, our holy and reverential fear, our awe. Like, wow, the, the creator of the universe, the one who was there in whom and through whom all was made, and, and now I'm going to interact with him. Wow, what is that going to be like, right? And so that's, that's 
That's the first piece that he shares, but he goes on from there. He says this in verse 34, as far as the fact, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And so this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 55. And I share this with the first group, and I'll just mention briefly, like whenever you see an Old Testament quote in your, in your Bible, so you're reading along and it says, remember when the prophet said this or this or whatever, or you see something that's offset, you see a little letter down there beside it, <laughs> that's your, your reference point. So you look at that letter, you go over into the margins or down at the bottom, and you, if it's like a letter Z, you come over here, you find the letter Z, and it'll say like Isaiah 55. And so that's how you dig deeper into the Scripture. That's free. I'm just giving that advice to you guys right now. Like no extra charge for that. Um, <laughs> but if you want to understand Scripture at the next level, um, that's how you do it. You, you dig, you the cross-references, and you, and you check into it. Listen to how balanced this is for Paul. He just said, hey, Jesus uh, reigns and rules, and you better get on your knees before him because he, it doesn't matter whether you want to submit to him. One day you will submit to him, right? So that's, that's the one side of the coin, but listen to the flip side in Isaiah 55. It says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the water. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. This is what he was referencing. I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, you shall be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Man, it's so rich. There's so much in there. Uh, But to condense it down, (laughs) he says, hey, um, I'm making a bridge. The God you're worshiping is the same God that I'm proclaiming. It's Jesus. Here's the historical facts. Here's what happened. Here's what went down. He was crucified unjustly, but he rose from the grave, and he is now the ruling and reigning king. He's the Messiah to whom we must all bow. Uh, that He has power to destroy us if he would so wish. But here's the good news in Isaiah 55. He's compassionate. He's loving. He wants you to repent and to come back to him, and he will forgive your transgressions abundantly. There's nothing that you've done that can separate you from him. It doesn't matter what you've done. Forgiveness is available to you if you will turn to the Lord, if you'll repent, and if you'll come and you'll ask for forgiveness. Not only is that, not only is he compassionate, but he will bring you joy. You'll have joy in this life and in the life to come. 
And he has the power to accomplish all this. All this is said in Isaiah 55. And so by throwing out this reference, he, he shares this beauty and the depth and the fullness of the gospel that, that the God who could crush us like a vessel, like a potter's pot, right, like a clay pot, he doesn't want to crush us. He wants to embrace us. He wants to adopt us as sons and daughters. That's why the gospel is good news. The one who would have every right to accuse us and find us guilty instead is willing to pay the penalty for us and to accept us. It's beautiful. It's good news. Verse 35, therefore he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. And so he said, hey, just logistically, when you listen to this psalm, it sounds like maybe David's talking about himself, but here's the reality. David died, his flesh decomposed, (laughs) his bones are buried in the ground somewhere that he saw corruption. But Jesus was buried and rose again. His body did not uh, experience corruption. He did not decay. He did not decompose. That that it's the sign, it's the proof that he is the Messiah. Listen to what it says, and it's referencing there Psalm 16, which says this. Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Here is the part. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So not, as only, not only is the one who has the right to judge us uh, powerful and mighty, but he's compassionate and forgiving and loving, and he has the ability to give us eternal life, that, that when we come into a right relationship with him, we will experience joy and pleasures forevermore at his side for all of eternity. And so in walking through these passages, he says, this is the gospel. This is the good news. And, and so for some of us, you might be in here and you might say, yeah, I, I know the gospel. I, I heard that 20 years ago when I went to a church and, and I raised my hand and I walked down an aisle. And so, yeah, I've, I've been there. What's next? What else is there? Well, what we find is that there is no next. The gospel is all of life. The gospel is what living is all about. We need to remember this each morning when we wake up. This informs how we live. This informs what our identity is. Am I going to let the, the things that happened today define me, or am I going to let something that happened 2,000 years ago, the finished work of Jesus Christ, does that define me and identify me? Is my joy going to come from a temporal source, something that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow, the Eagles game, right? Are we, are we hanging our, our hinges for joy today on the Eagles, or is our joy, our deep-rooted joy, in something much greater, something that will last for all of eternity? And so this is a continual reminder. We need to keep pushing deeper into the gospel, every single one of us. But if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you and entreat you and, and warn you uh, that today is the day for your salvation. Today is the day to draw near to the Lord, that he is the only one who has power to offer salvation, and he desires to offer it to you today. Don't wait till tomorrow. We don't know that we have tomorrow. And Paul ends it in this same way. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The law of Moses showed us how sinful we were. It showed God's standard, and it showed every one of us how far short we fall of it. The sacrifices and, and everything they did was symbolic. It was showing. It was, it was a hint, a shadow of what Jesus was in fullness, that, that he has freed us in a way that we could never by trying to adhere to the law. The law is good. It's, it's God's word. It, it shows us a picture of who he is. We want to draw near to it. But Jesus fulfilled it completely. He's the one who can free us. And he ends it with a warning. He says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. So it's a reference to, uh, there's a passage in Isaiah and another one in Habakkuk that kind of roughly say that same thing, but it's, it's when God visited his people and said, hey, you're, you're asking me and you're, and you're saying, God, where are you? But your heart's all wrong. You're not seeking after me with your heart, and that's why you're not seeing, and you don't realize that I am doing a work right now. And that's the reality for all of us, that God is doing a work right now in our lives, that he desires uh, to draw us into relationship with him. And we can either see the, the, the prophecy, we can become the nations that are drawn to him, or we become fulfillment of a different kind of prophecy, the prophecy of those who would harden their hearts and stiffen their neck and turn against the Lord. And so I would beg you today to, to submit to the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this encouraging picture of the gospel that the one who has every right and ability to judge us and to find us guilty is also the one who offers us freedom, forgiveness, and salvation. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful reminder of what the purpose and the meaning is behind all of our lives. And so I just thank you for it, and I pray that we would live it out today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed for just a moment. If, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, if you've, if you've never acknowledged him as your Lord, if you've never repented of your sin and say, Lord, uh, I, I, I've sinned, I've, I've messed up, but I believe that you can forgive me and I believe you have forgiven me. And I believe that your son Jesus died for me and I want to live with him as my Lord. If you've never said that, I, wanna, I want you to know that that is what it takes to be saved. That's what it takes to experience all the promises that we have in Jesus. It's not, we don't have to work to make ourselves better. We don't have to do anything other than receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us and commit to live for him. So if you're there today, I just want to invite you to say this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned and I repent of that sin. I turn away from it. And I turn to you. I believe I can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done. I believe he is the Messiah. And I believe that because of him, I have salvation. Thank you, Father. Help me to live a life that honors you. I pray in Jesus' name.